Hey everyone, welcome back to the Trader Connection podcast. My name's Justin Felix, and on today's episode, we're chatting to Swinburne University of Technology Principal Advisor for BIM, Will Joski, about the rapid advancement of technology in the building industry, and what builders, designers, and the industry as a whole can do to get up to speed and take advantage of all the exciting innovations available to them. We hope you enjoy. Yeah, so I guess, can you, you know, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, sort of where you've come from and what, what you're up to now? So my name's Will Joski, and I was originally an architect, architecting along, um, but I've always had a particular um, uh, thing for technology and computers and yeah. started at pretty early age. I got a VIC-20 when I was in year seven at school and much to my father's uh, disgust, I failed my history exam that year because <laughs> I really, really liked um, playing on the VIC-20. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that sort of carried me through for, for a lot of years. Um, when I went to university, you know, 486 computers are out there, learned AutoCAD and all that sort of stuff. And yep. um, just always like blending the two together. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's been something of a, um, uh, I don't know, a, a continuing thread throughout what I've done because what happened at one point after I started to learn Revit um, and became quite good at that um, my, my work broadened out to become more across what building information modeling was all about, not just being an architect who used Revit. Okay. And that's what's brought me to where I am now. Yeah, cool. So it sounds like you might've been a bit, uh, before your time. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say before my time, but, <laughs> okay. um, yeah. Uh, an early adopter then maybe. An early adopter. Yeah. That, yeah. that sounds, that sounds <laughs> right. That. I saw I just always like the way that, um, you know, you could tell a computer what to do and it didn't. It sort of, mm. Perhaps I'm a fan of instant gratification. Yeah, uh, cool. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so I guess what, what sort of um, encouraged you to move out of industry and into, into teaching? Well, I have to say that teaching is one of the most important things that I've done in my career, I think, um, yep. before I became a teacher. When I finished architecture, I was invited back to Melbourne University's architecture school to write and teach um, in their CAD lab. Okay. And the whole experience of being in front of a class um, and learning how to present and engage with people and how to write a, a booklet, you know, for example, that they yeah. gave clear and concise instructions of what to do and what the concepts were behind it. Um, was was something that um particularly for my um shy character was something that really helped um develop a, um a, a way that i could stand in front of a crowd and engage and, and the, a lot of teachers will attest that the ability to be able to pass on knowledge and watch people as they understand what you're saying and mm. consume it and, and apply it in their own context is yeah. Uh, really, really is um, satisfying to do. So mm. I've always been a teacher, Justin, but the thing that happened was that I was approached by Swinburne University um, to help them deliver a new course, uh, an associate degree on BIM that they had already started to develop. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about that course and sort of you know what it's set out to achieve, I suppose? And yeah, absolutely. So it's actually gone through a really interesting uh, journey and language warning. I think we might say journey more than once during this podcast <laughs> okay. because I think everyone tends to go through one. Yep. Um, this course in particular was first written for people leaving school. And uh, when I came on board, I felt that there was such a need for this in the industry and people already who were 
good professionals, good at what they did, but just needed this additional overlay of what BIM could deliver for them and the language and concepts around it. I thought this has got to be something that we can deliver to um, the people who are already in the workforce if we really want to start transforming this industry. Yeah, definitely. So that's what we did is we rewrote it for that. Okay. Um, But Justin, I have to tell you that there's something else happened then is that we thought, what are we doing writing a two-year course for professionals (laughs) who want to get on with their job? (laughs) So in fact, what's happening is next year, where in 2021, the associate degree is is open back up to uh, students leaving school. Okay. And we're shortening our courses, the the really important stuff that comes out of that associate degree. We're condensing down into, uh, for want of a better term, uh, micro-credentials, two-day workshop type of formats. Yep. So that uh, we can influence as many people as we can and and give them the good juice to get back to work. Yeah, amazing. I think that's a bit of a theme like that I've sort of noticed uh, within the construction industry is, you know, technology seems to advance so rapidly. Um, You know, it's hard for for people to to keep up. So I think, you know, the fact that you guys are sort of condensing um, courses and keeping people up to date, um, you know, as you go along is really important. Yeah, it's, it's a recurring theme, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we, we've all seen the graph, that, that thing that just shoots up off into the sky that talks about how quickly technology is mm. changing. And always behind that are, are people and behind that are organisations and so on and so forth. Yep. You can barely keep up. So you can imagine that, uh, you know, doing a, a long course, you want to keep your tabs on what's going on in industry. Otherwise, you might come out the other side uh, and everything's changed since you put your head down. <laughs> Definitely. And do you think as a whole, um, you know, the industry has been a little bit behind on the adoption of new technologies and the way we build? Um, I think that's a difficult question to answer simply because I think there's more involved in that. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself that organisations are just rooms and buildings full of people who are doing the Mm. best they they can. Change management is is a huge factor within all of this. I don't think it's necessarily an unwillingness to adopt new technology. It's how to fit that into the existing business processes and and yep. allowing for these things to be experimented and find their purpose and benefits and all these sorts of things. It's, mm. um, there are a lot of people out there in the workplace who are concentrating uh, on a particular area of technology and doing fantastic things, but it's the integration back into the, all the other yeah. business processes that, that's, um, that perhaps is where we really find change and progress difficult. Yeah, for sure. And I suppose as well, it's, it's a matter of finding, um, you know, the people with the, the education and the knowledge to be able to drive these um, initiatives within companies, which is where, you know, you guys uh, are making a difference there. Yeah, well, look, it's a really interesting split that happens within offices where mm-hmm. you're, let's, for instance, take my profession as architect. Yep. Um, you will have someone who's got 20 years experience and know exactly how a building is put together, but doesn't have all of the uh, skills in order to drive the new technology. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the new people who've come in and they're terrific at adopting new technology and, and love using it. Yeah. But um, a lot of people get frustrated because there's a disconnect between those two worlds, between mm-hmm. uh, lack of experience in the profession but great technical skills yep. um, versus great experience in the profession uh, and, and a lack of technical skills. So mm-hmm. there's a challenge in that is how you bring those two things together. I think Definitely. there's fantastic technology that, that's out there. There's so much of it. 
yep. but it's it's integrating it into the office that's that's the real trick for sure yeah so so how are you guys integrating um these sorts of technologies into your teaching by reflection i yeah. guess for want of a better word for it when okay. we wrote the associate degree the associate degree uh is very much about focusing on how an office runs, yep. whether it be in architects, engineers, project management, client facilities management, whatever it might be. The idea is, is that uh, the only way that you're going to um, adopt technology is looking at the way that the office works to see what the vision of the company is, to understand what the organisational structures are, what the existing policies and guidelines are, how projects are undertaken, how they perform, what are the risks what are the challenges, what are the opportunities, mm -hmm. all these sorts of things. And because you've got a sort of a cart and a horse type of situation here where you really need to make the technology respond to business objectives rather yep. than trying to fit technology uh, in first and then try okay. to find a reason as to why we're using it. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, I suppose I was keen to know a bit more about the key benefits of the technology and, you know, how it can be integrated into, um, you know, the design and build of yep. uh, yeah, facilities and buildings in, That's in Australia. That's an excellent question. Yeah. yeah. So the benefits, there is definitely a difference between the benefits that you can get within the brackets of design and construction and yep. what lies outside of those, of that process. If you take, for an example, a typical um, project that might be um, contracted out at the moment, not a, not a small project, but not a super major type project like an airport or a hospital, mm -hmm. but perhaps your average commercial building with the, a budget in the millions nonetheless. Yep. Our situation at the moment in the industry is that we still have a, a supply chain that is really quite interested in, in using BIM and digital engineering as much as they can. So... What they do is they implement it for their own benefit. You take, for example, a design, a design team, and what they'll do is they'll use 3D modelling in order to generate all their plans. So you've got fantastic benefits from being able to coordinate your documentation better. Yep. You can then combine all those different models together and you get great benefits from a coordinated design solution. You're 3D modelling all the time, so you've got fantastic opportunities to show those models to all the different stakeholders, including on the client side. And the visual communication mm. that you get out of yeah. that simply cannot be underrated. Okay. It's an old cliche that people don't understand plans very well, but understand pictures, but it's <laughs> yep. absolutely true. It's a cliche for a mm. reason. Definitely. And then you've got um, in construction, you know, again, there's great benefits from being able to um, model before you build, do all the clash analysis and these types of things, again, to visualise the solutions before you uh, build them. Yep. Because what you end up getting then is less risk about how much you're going to spend, how much you're going to waste, how to program the, the, the project mm -hmm. so that you can meet a deadline, so you can meet a, a price and so yep. on. Yep. What benefits we aren't seeing in that typical case scenario is the benefits that are instructed by outside of the the uh, design and construction that mm. supply chain yep. and these this and i mentioned this because this relates directly to really what is lies at the core of bim which is the digital handover of a project and in particular an asset a yep. set of asset information which is to all which is all about a good delivery of um, information mm -hmm. and potentially models 
yep. which are used directly by facilities maintenance and asset yep. maintenance. Yep, yep. Yeah, cool. I think, um, yeah, one of the really interesting things that I've sort of, uh, you know, learned is, like you mentioned earlier, the visualization of a, you know, a project. It's, it's really cool to be able to, you know, stick a sort of VR headset on and, you know, be able to almost walk around the, uh, you know, the building before it's, you know, even the foundations are laid, I suppose. And I, I suppose, is that something you guys are integrating into, you know, your, your teachings, your classes? Yeah. So if you think about um, virtual reality, it's a, mm. just an extension of that visual communication. Yep. The whole trick is in, in applying this in a realistic scenario is that you're solving a problem. Yeah. So think about what stage you are in a project and what problems you're trying to solve or what are the common um, snags that occur in your processes that slow you down, waste money, those sorts of things. Yep. If one of those problems can be solved by someone seeing a model in 3D, then you stick those mm. VR glasses on your head and go to town because then you've got a great tool to solve uh, a problem, to save time, to save money, to build mm. better relationships in with your project stakeholders. Yep. And of course, you know, for, for many people, it's, it's a great way of visualizing their design as well and just improving the quality of those processes as well. It's very much a tool that you can bring in that hangs off that core process of, of, a, of a smart modeling and information management process, which is mm -hmm. what the building information modeling is all about. Um, so I guess, where do you see this sort of technology going? Like, you know, we mentioned that, um, you know, it does advance so rapidly. Um, you know, it kind of feels like this is just you know, the beginning, I suppose, or the tip of the iceberg, um, especially for uh, building construction. Um, do you think there's you know, plenty more to come? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, yep. there's so much more to come. Like if you look at, um, there, are some, there are some specific stories that you can read about that really do um, make you wonder how clever everything is these days. For example, if you use um, drone technology and, and uh, photogrammetry in order to build um, measurable models of a facility, particularly, for example, things that are hard to access like aerial views or around um, different types of infrastructure equipment and so on. Yep. There are great examples of where artificial intelligence and machine learning has been able to compare um, different sets of visual data from one period to another and to detect what changes have taken place. Okay. And that may be detected as, say, rust or overgrowing trees or damage or whatever else it might be. That yep. can very quickly, obviously, identify problems that might be quite difficult for, for people to be able to achieve on their own. Okay. On the other hand, though, I think when we are looking more at a day-to-day -day kind of process, the future of technology will keep continue to grow. Yeah. But I think it's that if, if you want to sort of think of it as a technology uh, reboot, it's the way in which we better integrate technology into the existing business processes. Yeah. And there's a bit of a, a push and a pull there because there are some cases where technology needs to be brought back into real purpose okay. but there are other opportunities where technology opens up an entirely new kind of workflow or opportunity or value add or offer to a client or something else so mm -hmm. the challenge is to get the technical 
experience, the digital literacy in with those people who can make those kinds of judgments about how things fit together best. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And I guess you know, as would be the case in any industry and technology, um, you know, there's obviously the early adopters and those who are a bit more reluctant, you know, to consider it or, you know, to, to bring it into their, their companies. Um, what would you say to those who are, you know, probably still don't have, um, you know, this type of technology on their radar and, you know, or if they're a bit sort of reluctant to, to you know, integrate it into their businesses? That is a really good question because sometimes you've got to remember about that story about that ridiculous horse that refuses to drink the water. Yeah. Sometimes um, you can't tell somebody anything. And I, and I don't mean that unkindly. It's just that in order for businesses to be motivated for change, there already has to be some kind of decision or a tipping point within the organisation mm-hmm. that they're now that they're uh, willing to listen to what some of the alternatives might be. Yep. Because until, until you get people to that stage, um, there's, there's no internal motivation, no sort of perception of benefit as to why they should change whatever it is that they're doing at the yep. moment. Yep. Our human nature tends to be not to do anything until we're pushed to the edge of the cliff and our toes are curling over the abyss. Uh, and then we start to think, oh, geez, maybe we should think about doing, <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> doing so that certain thing. Yeah. And a good example of that is how to be competitive in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yep. and this, this is perhaps one of the differences between, you know, tier one and tier two and below is that the need for businesses to respond to better technical solutions hasn't been that strong as they have been with major projects and infrastructure projects and the like. Yeah. So... There will be a rising tide. I, I have no doubt about that. But there, it is a bit of a tough, a tough thing to bring about because it does involve those people outside of the design and construct brackets to start to put those kind of imperatives into the projects and to seek better responses from the supply chain to say, um, we know you can do it the old way, but we expect a standard of delivery that is the next step up. Yeah. And I think at that point people will start to, um, if they haven't already, start to sort of feel it's time to look at what technology can deliver for them, for their business context, yep. for their particular benefits, return on investment. Yeah, 100%. I think as well, um, you know, especially given this, um, you know, sort of unprecedented time that we're, we're living in at the moment, um, technology has really come to the fore, um, you know, for a lot of businesses trying to adapt and sort of, you know, work out how they will, operate I suppose moving forward given um, you know remote working seems to be um, I don't want to say the new normal but it it definitely feels like um, you know it may become a uh, I don't know a bigger part of just the way businesses um, operate in the future so I suppose you know now's probably a great time to look into technology and how it can um, help your businesses I suppose and um, drive you forward in the future I think you're right. Um, we've talked a lot about um, what new normal might be, um, mm-hmm. and maybe it's n- not going to necessarily be a new normal. But yeah. I think we're more willing to look at alternatives to the yeah. way that we typically think is what's best quality. Yeah. For instance, you know, in, in our in our industry, um, getting out to a site 
Um, yeah. Well, hey, 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 mate, don't you think we should maybe scan this so that if we need to go back and visit something, you know, we don't have to drive back out? It says, no, 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 it takes too long. It's too difficult. I don't want to think about it. Mm. These are sorts of things that people maybe are less easily um, reactive to, to say, you know, there's better ways that we can do this that minimises our travel, that reduces the number of times that we have to meet yeah. and talk in person. Um, and, you know, we can, capture these, we can capture these conditions with, you know, great technology, scanning, photogrammetry, 360 photographs, those sorts of things. Yep. We can use our models to better communicate and to send these the links to the models through to people and we can meet online and talk about them. We can tell them to stick on their VR headsets if they want to and feel the love in 3D. <laughs> yeah. um, all of this stuff, I think... You know, after our friend the virus has come and gone, yeah, that we will have um, a more a greater willingness to to uh, experiment and dive into these. Whereas in the past, I think people have been a little bit standoffish, or you know, just, yeah. you know we're always busy trying to get the job done to exactly. think about how to get the job done better. Hundred percent, yeah. Just see how it's An area like. that you might like to talk about, I think, yeah. which relates very much to. Um, where BIM hits the ground yep. and it goes to the sort of the essence of what BIM is about, which is about a process of collecting um, data for facilities management maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, is, is what is that actually going to look like on a job site you okay. know, in the not too distant future? You know, what are, what are the impacts on people who don't have to create models yep. or clash models and those sorts of things, you know, what sits at the root of all that? And it's about, uh, something that's something we, perhaps we can talk about. Yeah, cool. Time. That sounds good. So there you have it, guys. A big thanks goes out to Will for taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat to us. You can read more about this topic and what Swinburne University are doing in the autumn edition of Building Connection magazine. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to be notified of new episodes, like us on Facebook, and check us out at buildingconnection.com.au. Until next time, take care.